It's a book by John Piper, A Godward Life. And it says, One mark of Christian authenticity is discontentment with anything less than all the fullness of God. Coasting is not discipleship. Drifting in self-contentment is not like basking in a pool of security, but like floating fast asleep towards the falls. We must pay much closer attention to what we have heard so that we do not drift away. There is a holy discontentment. It is not a nail-biting uncertainty about our standing with God. It is the increased appetite of those who have tasted and seen that the Lord is good. It is the pursuit of those who have been pursued and captured by the strong arms of love. Not that I have already obtained it or have already become perfect, but I press on so that I may lay hold of that for which I was also laid hold of by Christ Jesus. And at the end he prays, he says, Father, we fear our deadly fondness for floating towards the falls when we ought to be swimming against the current. O God, have mercy to waken us again and to the perils of drifting in the Christian life. Help us heed Hebrews 2.1. We must pay much closer attention to what we have heard so that we do not drift away. Woe to the drifters in a world where all the current is toward destruction. Grant us to see and feel that not only life but also joy is in the good fight that does not end until the final rest. So basically, I guess why it spoke to me is he's saying, you might feel comfortable where you're at. You might feel like you're basking in some security uh, if you're just kind of going with the flow, living the American dream type thing. Um, but he's saying, no, it's not security. You're, you're slowly drifting towards the fall. If you're not fighting upstream towards the Lord against the flow of the world, which leads to destruction, then you're drifting towards the falls. So that spoke to me. I want to share that with you guys this morning. God, I pray that we would uh, be strengthened by you today, that we would have the fight in us, have the desire in us, God, to fight against the current, not to just drift along. I pray that you would just show yourself to us this morning, that you would speak through Michael. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. And you may be seated. We are... Um, leaving our statement of faith for uh, a week as we uh, think about Thanksgiving this morning. And if you'd be turning to First Chronicles chapter 16, First Chronicles chapter 16, uh, I'm going to read beginning in verse 1, skip a few things, pick up in verse 7 and read all the way down to verse 13. What I want you to do while I am reading is I want you to pay attention particularly to verses 8 through 12. And I'm going to ask you a question in a minute that I need you to answer. What do all of those verses have in common? Verses 8 through 12. What do all of those verses have in common? So beginning in chapter 16 of 1 Chronicles, in verse 1. And they brought in the ark of the God and placed it inside the tent which David had pitched for it. And they offered burnt offerings and peace offerings before God. When David had finished offering the burnt offerings and the peace offerings, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord. He distributed to every one of Israel, both man and woman, to every one a loaf of bread and a portion of meat and a raisin cake. So it was a, it was a celebration as the ark was brought into Jerusalem and then it was a potluck afterwards, except David was the only one that brought anything. He supplied for all the people. So it was a feast, it was a party, it was a celebration. And he appointed some of the Levites as ministers before the ark of the Lord even to celebrate and to thank and praise the God of Israel. 
Verse 7, then on that day, David first assigned Asaph and his relatives to give thanks to the Lord. And then apparently this is one of the things that they composed. And the rest of verses 8 through the end of that chapter are actually also found in the Psalms in two different places. That's broken up into two different Psalms. We're going to read um, the first one, which is uh, part of Psalm 105. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, call upon His name. Make known His deeds among the people. Sing to Him, sing praises to Him. Speak of all His wonders, glory in His holy name. Let the heart of those who seek the Lord be glad. Seek the Lord and His strength. Seek His face continually. Remember His wonderful deeds which He has done, His marvels and the judgments from His mouth. O seed of Israel, His servant, sons of Jacob, His chosen ones. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would open again our ears to hear, not our minds to understand, and our hearts really to grasp what you have for us this morning. And then we ask by the power of your Spirit that you'd change our wills, that we might be obedient. And we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Before we get to the thanksgiving part, we need to look at another side of that coin, uh, so to speak. So what do all these verses, 8 through 12, beginning with, oh, give thanks, down to verse 12, remember his wonderful deeds, what do they all have in common? They are. They're imperatives. Exactly right. They're commands. They're things that God asks us to do. Who are they written to? This is also from what we read. Who are they written to? Okay. Verse 13. Specifically, O seed of Israel, his servant, sons of Jacob, his chosen ones. We're off the hook. (laughs) Because I'm not a seed of Israel or a son of Jacob, am I? I mean, I'm not Jewish, but I don't have that bloodline. Is Is he talking to me? Yeah, he is. If we look at Romans 9... In Galatians 4 specifically, what we find out in Ephesians 2 as well, what we find out is is that the children of Abraham really are the children of promise, the children of faith. And Paul goes into a long argument, which we're not going to go into today in Romans, well, a lot of Romans, but he, he climaxes that argument, part of that argument in Romans 9, Romans 9, Galatians 4, and then fleshes that out in Ephesians 2, that he, he took Jews and Gentiles and made one new man, thus establishing peace. And so because we are children of faith, we are children of Abraham, we are sons of the promise. But not only that, the second part of each of those lines in that verse the New Testament picks up that idea that we are servants. Paul talks about that more than once. We are servants. We are bond slaves. We're also chosen ones. We're also people that God has looked down from heaven and seen that we needed rescue, and He chose us to be a part of, adopted us into His family. And so as we think about the fact that, oh, these are commands, oh, and and by the way, every one of these commands is repeated 
in the New Testament for believers. We are to give thanks. We are to make known His deeds among the people. We are to sing. We are to boast in His name. We are to seek the Lord. We are to remember what He has done. All of those things. We're not off the hook. But I want to think about those from a different light this morning. I want to think about them, first of all, from the idea of of who God is and who we are as servants and as chosen ones and how that should make us think about, specifically that first verse, what it means to give thanks. What does it mean that we're servants? Well, it, it means that we have a master. And the way the Bible talks and the way that we know from history and just life, masters tell servants what to do. Each of these commands really is an obligation that you and I are expected to fulfill. God has the authority and the right to demand from us obedience. God has the authority and the right to demand from us anything He wants concerning our time, our talents, or our toys. Try to make that memorable. Toy stands for stuff, money, possessions. You may not consider it a toy. God has the authority and the right to demand from you anything concerning your time, your talents, and your toys. And so when he says, give thanks to the Lord, there is an expectation that we will give thanks to him. It's not a suggestion. It's not a, oh, if you feel like it, uh, if you can drum up enough energy or emotion or if things went well that day, it's a command. And God has the right and the authority to demand that of us and to expect it of us. And and some of us cringe at that. Shouldn't Thanksgiving be a response? Shouldn't... Well, yeah, it's a response to a command because you're the slave and he's the master. But still, some of us don't like that and we back up and we go, The good news is, is that the Bible doesn't just talk about us as servants. The Bible talks about us also as chosen ones. The Bible uses uh, the idea of Him being a loving Father and we are His adopted children. And so, in addition to being the Master who has every right and the authority to, to demand that we obey, God has also lovingly adopted us into His family and He wants us to participate in the things that make for a healthy family. And what's rather amazing is none of the commands in the Scripture are arbitrary. You see, God created us and therefore He knows what's good for us and knows what actually makes a healthy family. And so all of these commands He wants us to participate in because they're for our good. Our own good personally and our good collectively. So when He says, give thanks to the Lord, yes, it is a command that we should obey, but it's also something that we should do because it's good for us. Personally, and it's good for us 
corporately. And so there's a tension there. We have to keep both of those ideas together and most people tend to drift towards one of those ideas or another. Some of you tend to drift towards the idea that God is this omniscient, omnipresent, all-powerful master and I'm a slave and I just need to do what He says. Some of you tend to drift more towards the idea of I'm His child, He loves me, I can do no wrong and everything's good. What's the danger of forgetting that we're lovingly adopted and only focusing on the fact that He is Master, that He is Lord? What's the danger in that for our Christian life? Yeah. We do. It's all about the task. The heart can get left out. And we can fulfill our Christian duty, especially in front of one another. What's another danger? On this side. On this side, yeah. Yeah, there's because we we don't like people telling us what to do, and so there is the temptation to rebel or to become bitter uh, or to become angry. I can't believe God's asking me to do this again. There's a danger in that if this is where we end up landing. What else? Yeah, and some of you grew up in that, right? God is, we obey, and not only do I have to obey, by golly, you better as well. And so the thumb comes down hard on each and every one of you to, you better, you better tow the line. And then we end up towing the line because we want them off our back, right? It becomes all about performance. And then we turn judgmental. Yes, we do. I'm better than you because I, I followed X, Y, and Z and you didn't. In my mind, and I know we're slaves to Christ. I could get that. But when I think of servant, I don't, I don't necessarily think of being a slave. And the difference is in kind of the attitude of you know, even in the movies when you think of a, you know, a servant mm-hmm. um, is different than a slave in that sense. The Greek and the Hebrew didn't make that distinction that I think we have in our in our 21st century minds. Yeah, not in this context. It's, and we can, you know, we translate things, I think, sometimes to be, make it palatable to our ears. Um, but a slave, someone who does what they're supposed to do in one sense. What are the dangers of over here? What if, you know, I, because I do, I don't, I don't like this. So what are the dangers of not recognizing that God is sovereign? What are the dangers of of just hanging out in the adopted loving family? Because there are dangers of not recognizing God's sovereignty and His claim on us, right? Paul says, you are not your own. You were bought with a price. He owns us. So what are the dangers of of landing here? Because there are some as well of forgetting about that side. 
get about holiness and righteousness. Mm-hmm. You can get caught up in prosperity gospel and forget that he will, that he, he does have an angry side and that he is jealous of your attention. Right. Right. which is why Paul had to write in Romans 6 the question that apparently had been put to him well if grace is free I mean if it really if it really is true that I'm forgiven I don't believe that but if that really is true Paul just go on sinning that grace may abound (laughs) right If, if that temptation doesn't run through your mind I'm not sure we get the gospel because it really is that good news. The problem is we forget about the fact that, we'll talk about that in a second, there, there are consequences for sin, right? But that's the danger. Oh, I'm forgiven. I can do whatever I want to. I told you the story of the, was in elementary school on the playground one day, and a uh, good friend, I was baptized last night. I can cuss all I want to now. Third or fourth grade. <laughs> and I wasn't a believer, hardly went to church, but in my mind I thought, there's something about that that's not right. Right? He, he got the grace part. Right? He understood. I've been forgiven and I've been adopted into a family that loves and cares for me and I, I can't blow it. Right? Other than the fact that what do we know, what do we know about sin? Yeah. And sin always, always, always leads to death. Mm-hmm. It may not be a physical death, but it could be a death of a relationship, the death of trust, the death of joy, the death of hope. Sin always, always leads to death. So we have to hold these two things in tension in our lives because as true as this is, that I am completely forgiven, I am redeemed, I am justified in His sight. He also knows what's best for me and He is sovereign and He has the right to say, you know what, this is good for you. This is good for not only you, but for all the people that you hang out with. And when you don't obey, you're going to wreak havoc among the people that you love and in your own life. And so there's a tension. And so in verses 8 through 12, and we're not going to come close to, we're just going to look at verse 8 this morning. Um, I would encourage you, I mean, I'm going to take a detour to verse 9, but I'm going to encourage you to read through that and think about each of those commands in light of it is something that God really does want me and require for me as part of who He is as sovereign. And it is something in the wonderful grace and, and the family life that He has called me into that is good for not only me, but the people around me. Okay? That's your assignment. Go home and look at the rest of those verses and go, how does this fit? And do I do these things? But specifically, oh, give thanks to the Lord. Verse 8. Um, it's interesting. We, we take that word um, thanks and, and thanksgiving and... Um, 
don't think all the time, but sometimes it, it sort of is in our culture just a response when does, someone does something nice that we don't really think about. Right? Someone does something, oh, thanks. Not that we don't mean it, but I don't know that we think about the fullness of what that word actually means. In Hebrew, it's a word that simply means to confess something that's true. And it's often used, Psalm 32, Leviticus 5.5, for confessing sin to God. By the way, it's also a word that's only used between man and God. It's never used between man and man. The word that's used when someone does something nice for someone and you respond, uh, it often gets translated in our Bibles as bless. He blessed him. The word barak. That's the word that is used between people. But this word is only used between man and God, and it means to confess what's real. Sin, so when you confess sin, it's this same word. But also when you confess God's character and His, His attributes and His actions. And it's a, a proclamation, it's out loud. Okay? And we translate it thanksgiving. Uh, in most versions, some versions translate it praise, but it is simply acknowledging what is true about God. It is acknowledging God's sovereignty. It's acknowledging God's place. The idea of confessing sin really is, God, you have this standard and I've broken the standard. God already knows. We don't confess sin to God to make Him aware of what we've done. We confess sin to God as an acknowledgement of, of what really is true in reality. You have a standard, I've broken that standard. And so that's what really thanksgiving is. It's an acknowledgement that God is sovereign and He has done for me what I can't do. In one sense, it's the idea of dependence. So when we say, God, thank you for this beautiful day, right? In one sense, it's an acknowledgement that I can't make the sun come up. I can't make the clouds go away. I can't make it rain or not rain. When we thank God for a meal, right? God is the one that created those animals. He created that seed that made that plant. Now, we may have had a part in growing something or fixing something or preparing something. I thank my wife all the time because she feeds us well. But if God hadn't created the world and made those flavors so that when you put this flavor with that flavor, you go, wow. But I'm dependent upon Him for taste buds and the fact that something in whatever that food was touched my tongue and made me go, wow. It's a confession that God really is good to us that He does things that we can't do. When I thank God for you, as I do on a regular basis, it's a confession that I need you in my life. You encourage me. It's a confession that those relationships help form me into who that I am. And I can't be who I am without you. And so it's a confession that God and His sovereignty arranged us. And y'all are from all over the country, right? And how in the world did we end up here? It's a 
confession that God and His sovereignty has placed us in this place because He desired for us to mold and shape one another. It's an acknowledgement of God's sovereignty. A reminder that, that you and I are, are important in each other's lives. Hebrews chapter 10 um, Hebrews always gets stuck in my Bible between won't open. Beginning in verse 23, the writer of Hebrews says, Let us hold fast the confession. That's the same word that always translates that Hebrew word that we says give thanks. Let us hold fast that confession, that verbal acknowledgement that, as Hebrews has been talking about, that God is who He says He is. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for He who promised is faithful. And then, here's our role in that. And let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking our own assembling together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. See, that giving thanks is good for us. That confession, that public confession in a corporate gathering or with each other on the phone or over a meal or over a cup of coffee. Every time you open your mouth and confess God's goodness in your life with one another, that's good for us. That encourages us. And we should do that all the more as we see the day approaching. That should be part and parcel of our life. Not only because it's commanded, because it's good for us. But why else is it good? It's also a safeguard against that downward spiral of sin. It's not just that it encourages and lifts us up, it keeps us out of the cesspool of sin. That Romans 1, when Paul begins that long digression of how humanity keeps going down and down, and because of their behavior, he keeps giving them over to certain sins, how does that start? How does that slow downward spiral begin? Romans 1, verse 21, For even though they knew God, he said it was evident to them by what he's made, right? Even though they knew God, they did not do two things. And that was the beginning of the downward fall. They did not honor him as God, and they did not give thanks. When we fail to acknowledge who God is in our life, that He has this imminent place in who we are, that begins the process of something else taking the place of God. Usually it's us. When I'm not thankful for every little thing in my life, what I begin to do is begin to think that I did it. Or that I can do it. Or, maybe even worse, that I should do it, and then we end up back in that kind of legalistic, self-condemning issue of, I just can't measure up to God's goodness. But when I give thanks for everything, when that's part and parcel of my life, when that's who I am, when that's part of, part of the the normal routine of how I respond to God and how I respond with the believers, then that keeps me out of that spiral of sin because it keeps God in His rightful place and reminds me of my rightful place. And that's good. We need that. 
And so my encouragement, my challenge is that, as always, we celebrate one day of the year as Thanksgiving, we're thankful, but that we continue on in that, that we are reminded that that is who I'm supposed to be. Because He commands it, and because as part of a family, it's good for one another, it's good for us to be thankful, to confess who God is and remember our rightful place. Um, again, my encouragement and my challenge to you is to read through the rest of that section. Those commands in light of He has the right and authority to ask us those things of us and all of those things are good for us and think, how, how are each of these things good for us? Well, let me challenge you to do that this week. How is making known His deeds among the people good for me and for us? How is singing to Him and singing praises to Him good for me and good for us? I know some of you don't like to sing. I know some of you may or may not like all the songs that we sing. Can I encourage you and and challenge you that God commands you to sing whether you think you're good at it or not? And He commands you to sing whether you like the song or maybe even know the song that we sing. He commands you to participate in that. Right, I should hear more of you when I'm standing like this than I do. Even if it's bad. Because see, it can't be any worse than me. It just really can't. And so that would be helpful to me. See, you would be, it would be good for me if I couldn't hear my own self singing. Right? I mean, I'm close enough to Brandon that that helps. Right? The speakers are right there. And when Amy plays, it's even better because it's louder and I really can't hear myself. But it would be even better if I could hear you over me. Okay, that's my soapbox. As we go through this week, my prayer is that we would be mindful through the power of His Spirit um, of all that He has done for us. Spend some time in this book this week walking through it and going, am I thankful for that? Am I thankful for that? Am I thankful for that? And then let that be an encouragement to that be something that becomes a regular part of what you do, part of your routine, that you open this book and are reminded of who God is and who you are and why you should be thankful. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for Your blessings for us. You really have abundantly blessed us. I know that Your Word says that You've blessed us with every spiritual blessing, and I don't even know what half of those are, I am sure. But as I think this morning, during our time just going through, and I look at this body, and I'm reminded, God, of of innumerable blessings just from the people that you've gathered in this room. And so, God, we praise you and we thank you for that. God, I thank you for each family represented here and all the people that are here, their personalities, their faith, their quirks. God, I ask that you would encourage them that You would remind them of Your blessings this week, that You would draw them to Your throne, and that we would be a people who worship You in spirit and truth. And we ask these things in the name of our precious Savior, Jesus the Christ. Amen.